Hello and welcome to Breakfast with the Boss, the podcast that discovers how our leaders went from the classroom to the boardroom and what it means to be the boss. I'm Natalie Campbell. And I'm Anthony Hilton. And this week we're seeing a man about his dog. Joining us for breakfast is the founder of Metro Bank, Vernon Hill. The son of a Virginia real estate owner and the eldest of six children, Vernon was never one to hang around. While studying economics at Wharton School, Pennsylvania, Vernon worked afternoons at South Jersey Bank. After graduating, he set up his own real estate firm with his first client being McDonald's. Keen to apply the rules of retail to the world of banking, he founded Commerce Bank at the age of 26, growing it from one store on the side of a highway into the 18th largest bank in America. His unwavering faith in the power of lavish customer service led him to set up Metro Bank UK. Vernon, thank you very much for joining us for breakfast. Where's the pup? Where's my puppy? Good morning to Anthony and Natalie. Thank you for having me. Where's my puppy? Sir Duffield is the Metro Bank dog, and uh, he's not with me this morning, uh, but I often uh, get asked, where is the dog, which I've learned in... British talk means don't bother to come without the dog. <laughs> and it's obvious to me that he's much more well-known and liked in Britain than I am. <laughs> so take us back to your childhood. You were one of six. What was that like? And the eldest. I'm the eldest of six. Northern Virginia, I grew up in the Washington suburban area. My father was an entrepreneur, and he didn't believe his kids should work for somebody else, that they should have their own business. He had worked in banks before the, before the war and somehow b- b- thought that if you're gonna have a top job at a bank, you should go to the Wharton School. Mm. I was the first kid and I went to Wharton. And I worked in banks part-time while I went to college. One of the funny stories about going to Wharton, Steve Wynn and Don, Donald Trump and I were all there at Wharton at the same time. We didn't know, know each other, but that, right. that is a fact. Um, when I talk to students in, in Britain and America, I often say the ones that are going to become stars find their unique talent and match it up what they do in life. I often say great chefs taste the food different than we do, musicians hear it different than we do. Mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to match, somehow I looked at banking as a retailing business and looked at it as a non-banker. And my ability to understand technically how to run a bank and make it a high gross fun retailer, that turned out to be my talent. So you, you, you would call it luck. I started my first bank, Metro is my fifth from scratch. I started my first bank, they gave me a bank license when I was 26. And at the time, there were 23,000 separately owned banks in America. There's still 7,000. America's a country of lots of small banks. They gave me a bank license. God knows why. (laughs) And I started with one office, 1.5 million in capital, no name and no brand. And we like to say we were the, there were 23,000 banks in America and we were 23,001. By, under, by redefining how a bank works, by redefining how you deliver, how you build fans, when we sold out in 07, acquiring no one, we had 500 stores across the East Coast of America. So that's sort of been the quest. 
How did you get the um, the 1.5 million to uh, start off with? That was hard. <laughs> that was all. I raised lots of money, lots of capital. That first 1.5 million, I was a kid, but I had worked in banks and I had friends. You just go around and beg, borrow, and steal. You, know, you ask your friends. And the people that were brave enough to invest with me, if they held their investment from the beginning for the full, full length of the company, 34 years, their investment went up 470 times. Wow. Not percent, times. And the book talks, our book talks about how we turn the mundane, dull business of banking into a high growth, high return business. And it's really written for people to think about how they can turn their business away from the norm into an unusual high growth business. But let's go back because at the moment that you're beg, borrowing, and stealing, you know, money and, and selling people on an idea, it really is just an idea. You can't guarantee that this thing's going to work. So, how did you know this that this was going to work? And how did you choose your first store? How did you determine what it was going to be called? Um, there is a difference between an entrepreneur in America and an entrepreneur in Britain. And believe me, I love the Brits. <laughs> but the American model is, let's decide what we want to do. Let's start at the conclusion and work our way back. So to answer your question, I wanted to do it. I, waked up, I woke up one morning and decided, I'm going to go start a bank. I'm going to raise the money. I'm going to get a license. And then we just worked it through and made it happen. Um, People ask me, Harvard has a case study on my American bank, so I go up and talk to the Harvard students occasionally. One, one lady got up and talked to me this long, elaborate question that they teach them at Harvard. Tell us how you got your name, what kind of groups did you focus on, uh, who were your consultants, how did you pick red? Well, we picked the name because nobody else had that name in our market, so that's the first requirement. And the second of all, um, my wife and I laid the newspapers out for the weekend and none of the other banks had read. Oh. That was our marketing plan. Uh, so the, so the, as I said, the American tradition is let's decide where we wanna go, let's start with the result and work backwards. What we find here in Britain is it's, it's more, uh, let's start at the beginning and see how it works out. Now, <laughs> yeah. this, is a, uh, this is a joke. So I hope all our listeners will take it a joke. I get asked all the time, why are you the first one to do a new bank in Britain since 1840? That is an amazing number. Mm. And I used to say, well, it's an American idea and we don't see it in Europe. And that, that is true. I now say as a joke, a typical Brit would, who wanted to start a new bank would get 10 friends, hire 10 consultants, and find 100 reasons why it wouldn't work. <laughs> That is the difference between the American culture, entrepreneurial, and the British. Did the um, business, uh, or did Metro start absolutely as it's finished, um, you know, in, in uh, what, 2007? Or did it change and develop? So Metro Bank, as I said, is our, my fifth new bank from scratch. It's, it's patterned very much on my American model. And in fact, we're doing almost everything in London that we did in America. Uh -huh. Everything we did in Manhattan works better here. Mm. The core model hasn't changed. The core value hasn't changed. But the way you deliver, the way it involves, you have to make it better all the time. Mm. But 
if you think about what a bank is, everybody can make loans, but a bank is the only private entity to accept bank deposits. And a bank is really a government license to borrow money cheaply by accepting your deposits. So our model in America evolved that it is here first on creating a great retail experience, building fans, gathering our deposits, consumer and commercial, and then making loans. That model has been unchanged almost all my career, but the way we deliver it is evolving all the time. If the iPhone 12 is not better than the iPhone 10, Apple's got problems. So we have to make it better all the time, but our core value is we build a business, whether it's commercial or consumer, and we, we're actually slightly more commercial than consumer, is about building fans. Now, here's, fans are the most important thing you can have in your company. Fans join your brand, fans remain loyal, and fans bring their friends. So your customers are working for you all the time. Well, when you get that accomplished, you've got a great chance to win. So I want to talk about a different type of fan. I'm going to talk about your wife, Shirley, because she's a big part of the business. She does the design. Have you guys always been a team? Do you consider yourself a, um, a husband and wife duo, or is it very separate? It's not very separate. She has her own business, and she's done 600 banks for, for me. Mm -hmm. And in Metro, she, does, she and her team, she has a large team, she does the architecture the design, the construction management, the marketing, and the branding. And when you're looking at all those things, while we care about the parts, if you think about the great brands, including Apple, it's the way they unite them together and deliver a, a unified experience. She is the best, she is the best, and she has a unique talent. I talked earlier about everybody should find their unique talent. She's very good at the technical stuff, but her real strength is she can understand by looking at the whole, not the parts. All of us can look at a wall and say, maybe we should make it blue. She can conceptualize how it all works together. We, we have been a team. She has her own business. She has outside clients, and she's been doing this, but uh, she is a gigantic help, and our bank in America wouldn't have succeeded, and Metro wouldn't be the big success it is unless she and her team were involved. You you, you talk about, um, what, 1830 or 40 or whatever. The, 1840. Uh, the government says 1840. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Um, but businesses generally aren't um, building building branches, and yet you, um, with, with um, yours, does seem to make a turn, and I, I wonder how this happens. How this happens? What what makes you um, make it work and others don't? So that's a, that's a simple question with a very long answer. So I'll, <laughs> I'll try to shorten it. When Natalie goes out to buy shoes, every shoe store is not the same. She walks past three or four shoe stores to find the one she wants. This is yeah. true. Why is that? Because one of them has created a unique experience with location, store, price, whatever. So your first question, first of all, your question assumes that every bank branch is the same. That is an incorrect assumption. Maybe in Britain it's true, but it's certainly not true in retailing. Um, secondly, in Britain, the five major banks have had a cartel going here for a very long time. Their philosophy is we're doing you a favor by letting you bank with us. 
and they've massively underinvested in their business. You can see it in their stores, you can see it in their IT, you can see it in their customer relations because they had a closed market. They've never seen competition. So the first job of us on our consumer side is to get you to switch banks. And the number one purpose of the store is to get you to switch banks. Because if customers don't move to us, we don't have any customers. And in the early days of Metro Bank, the skeptics would say, Brits won't switch banks. We've had the same banks, banks since university. And one of your favorite lines is, um, you're more inclined to get, I'm more inclined to get divorced than I am to switch banks. <laughs> and you've all heard that, right? 1.3 million people have switched to us. Because we've given them a choice, it's clearly different. And then once they've switched, we have to deliver the best in every channel, in-store, online, mobile. And we win every award in bank in Britain about best bank, best mobile. Um, the customers, the store is the public face. So I'll tell you an interesting number. We spend less than 100,000 pounds a year at Metro running, running ads, less than 100,000 pounds. And we know that our brand recognition in Greater London is 89%, which is a massive number. And the stores are certainly the public face of that. Uh, so if you look at what we've done, it's not just the stores, it's the way we've united all the parts together. Now if you look at the major banks, they've taken you for granted, they've underinvested. And I say to people, when I get asked this question, walk in one of my stores and walk across the street to the banks. And if, if it's not clear to you immediately, then I fail. When you look at retail stores, one of the numbers we all measure, and it's fairly common, is sales per square foot. The retailer with the highest retail sales per square foot are Apple, by a long way. And Apple doesn't need stores. They've united the experience and made it fun. How do you compete with the fintech uh, boom and brands like your Monzo or your Starling that I guess are taking what you're saying from a retail perspective and saying, let's put this online, let's create hot pink cards for a youth generation, let's give them easy banking. How do you translate that for, for this new audience? No online-only bank has ever succeeded in America or Britain. The names you mentioned are starting. They're not really banks. They're products primarily. Monzo doesn't have a bank account. It's a prepaid card. That's completely different. Uh, there is a place for them. There is a role. Um, but particularly in fintech, what we see is what, you, what you're seeing is icing with no cake. A, big is a, a bank is a big, complicated business. And you can have these little apps, but what happens to them in the end, either they fail, or if the idea is good, they end up selling them or partnering with the banks. Um, and one of the tremendous advantages we've had when Metro Bank started, I've been quoted in the press many times in London as saying the IT and the British banks are one step above a quill, and they are amazingly bad. And they'll all admit that to you, and we see it every day. Our BS has spent two billion pounds to spin off this Williams and Glenn and couldn't make it happen. So new ideas, new, new products, it's fine, but you have to have a modern IT system to make it work. We have the really only modern IT system in British banking, which is a tremendous advantage. And does that 
help you with, with fintech and uh, or other services that you um, that, that, that you span, or are they all uh, in the, in the branch? Oh no, we we deliver online, mobile, every other way. We just, as I said earlier, we just want best mo- mobile bank app in Britain. Mm-hmm. Think about fintech primarily. Of course, there are exceptions. They're limited products or services. For us, if we like them, we partner with them or buy them or whatever. But they have to be connected to a modern core IT system. If you think about this, a bank is really an information business. And one of the biggest problems at the British banks is their IT. I'm not sure it can ever be fixed. Mm. It's so big and so broken. So yeah, FinTech's idea, there's lots of room. uh, But I predict... uh, very few will will survive. Interesting. It, yeah, I think it would be interesting to to see what happens to the new wave of fintech businesses coming through, especially as they've built um, share in a youth market. But I want to go back to the start of Metro Bank in two thousand and ten and ask you about investment. Uh, so. You raised investment primarily from U.S. investors. From that so we raised. Uh, we I began the. I, we sold. my sold my bank in America in two thousand and seven. I had nothing to do for a week. <laughs> and a friend of mine at the time uh, had been talking to me for years. You've got to bring your service and convenience model to Britain. Mm-hmm. I came over. I shopped the five British banks. I went to my hotel at night and laughed for an hour. I went to the government the next day and said I'd like to get a new bank license. They had obviously done some work. He said, we like this idea. Could you help us and bring the American forms over? So in typical American fashion, I said, all right, well, let's go give it a try. And this was in the end of 2007 and 2008 when the world was coming to, to yeah. an end. So I began the quest. And part of the quest was to raise approximately 100 million pounds to capitalize it, which is a big number to do a bank from scratch. Because mm. we knew this was gonna be a big company on scale. My shareholders then, as in now, are 90% America. And we've raised in various private rounds, we've raised 1,300,000,000 pounds in private money, 90% American, and as you probably know, we listed in March of 2016. And are you going to expand to other countries, or do you just see it as um, prison? Banking is a unique business. It's wound into the governmental system. Think about this, there's only two types of entities that can create money, governments and banks. That's why the governments are so involved in banks. So the American banking system hundreds of years ago was patterned after the UK system, and the mechanics are still pretty much the same. The words are the same, the processes are generally the same, so it was fairly easy to bring my American model here. Mm -hmm. If you go to France or Germany, the systems are completely different. They they look at banks different ways, so uh, uh, we don't have any plans to take it outside of Britain. But you're opening at a rate of one a month, so Correct. you've got Reading, Slough, Birmingham, Newcastle, Manchester. Newcastle's not on our list, but yes, oh. uh, we we're opening one store, uh, one store a month in, in most of those towns you uh, mentioned. And you're driving the growth. Is it the shareholders driving growth? What do you mean driving growth? In, in terms of where you're d- opening new stores and the rate of which you're opening new stores. It's me. 
Is he? (laughs) (laughs) No. We promised our shareholders this was going to be a growth model. So our job is to produce the highest predictable, profitable growth that we can. In America, as I told you, I started with one office. When I sold out, we had 500 approximately. So we've been down this road before. American shareholders believe and invest for growth. European and British shareholders do not believe in growth. And And that's why our shareholders are still predominantly American. When you say they don't believe in growth, what, what do you mean? Is it that their focus They're buy, is different? accuse them of being bond buyers in disguise. They uh-huh. care about yield and price to book and dividend. Americans believe in growth. Yeah. Uh, when I first started to raise money and I tried to raise some in Britain, I did get a little bit. When I put the word growth and bank in the same sentence, they will all go running out the door mm-hmm. because that's something they've never conceived and never seen. Uh, the philosophy here, it's a non-growth, sort of mundane business that can grow. Well, you can see the numbers we've released. We're growing 60% a year on scale. Okay. Um, and it's very unusual. Do you see your businesses uh, being public? I mean, as, or rather, I, I see your bank as being um, four times um, book value and... Uh, 3.5. Oh, 3.5 now. Oh, well. And the British banks are 0.6. Exactly. Well, yeah, so, you know, five or six times uh, as much. Um, do you think that your shares are, should be that that good or, or that cheap? I mean, or, or are they... You mean um, that expensive? You know how you look at it. It goes back to my... Earlier statements, Americans invest for growth. Mm-hmm. The investors in Metro Bank, which are some of the biggest funds in America, will tell me right now, Metro Bank has never been cheaper. It has a proven growth model, and it's de-risked the rollout of the Metro model in Britain. Uh, we always traded in America, my, uh, my bank in America always traded at a price-earnings ratio 25 when the banks were trading for 12. It's this idea that growth has value. Mm. Uber has never made a nickel. And it's worth 50 billion or something like that. Has never made a nickel. Fair enough. <laughs> and so what advice would you give to an entrepreneur that walked up to you in the street and said, you know, give, give me the, the pearl of wisdom that's in, in your brain? I would hand them a copy of my book, <laughs> which says, Find out your unique talent and match it up to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So the book talks about how you build a great brand from scratch. First of all, you need a differentiated, value-added model. No one needs to meet to anything. So people come up to me and they, they, they do just as you said, ask me what, what they should do and what they should do. And the first questions we get, I give them is, who are you, what you are, what's your value-added, and how are you gonna grow? 90% of them do not have an answer to those questions. Why should customers bank with you? The book talks about the creating this value-added, better model, building a culture that's pervasive and supportive of the model, and then fanatically execute the model. It's pretty simple, but you've got to answer the question, who you are, what you are, what value you're going to add. And that's where a lot of them fail. Can I ask you a, a, a different question? You you mentioned um, Wharton School and yeah. Do- Donald Trump yeah. as uh, being one of the uh, alumni there. 
And do you see him now, or have you seen him now? I've known Donald Trump for 25 years. He, Steve Wynn, and I were all at Wharton at the same time. We didn't know anybody. If I had to make a list of a million things that would never happen, Trump being president is number one. It would be every item on that list. If Brexit hadn't passed, Trump would not have won. Brexit and Trump are the same thing. They are a revolt against the elites. And clearly we see that in Trump. But it is a war in, in America. This is a civil war going on in America between the left and the right. Do you still uh, play, play golf with him? Or? I haven't played golf since he was elected, but I have played with him many times. Did you, did you win? <laughs> well, it depends on who keeps score. Uh, we just have fun. <laughs> and what about uh, another thing, uh, Bitcoin? And um, I mean, you, you mentioned fintech as such, but uh, do things like Bitcoin create a, an opportunity or do you think it's too difficult? Is it a bubble? I don't believe in Bitcoin at all. If you believe in Bitcoin, you have to believe that you, that you can create money from air backed by nothing. I don't believe that. Wow. Uh, I mean, it's pretty simple. So when you're trading Bitcoin, it's no different than trading coin or soy, soybeans or anything. You have to believe that this in-the-air trading vehicle backed by nothing has value. I don't. Yeah. And, and does that include all the uh, cryptocurrencies? I suppose it does. I guess it does. Yeah. Why do you think it's captured the imagination? Why are people getting into it and investing and, and putting their money into something that, as, as you say, is ultimately, it's air? Doesn't everybody like a get-rich scheme? <laughs> this is true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that's sort of the way I see it. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but they're not getting any of my money. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're not putting your money in. Um, so this podcast works in association with Speakers for Schools, a brilliant charity that inspires students through compelling talks from world-class leaders. You run an in-house apprenticeship scheme here in the UK, what skills do you teach over on the program? I'm guessing it's some of the things that you've mentioned before. Yeah, it's not banking skills. It's these kind of skills. How to learn, how to learn how to, to work, learn how to manage, entrepreneurship. It's all those kinds of things. We also have an unusual program in Britain. We do about 60,000. We go into schools of 10th, kids that are around 10, and go through a four-week program in the curriculum about money, because mm -hmm. the schools teach them nothing about money. And I think we're doing 40 or 50,000 kids a year now. It's, wow. a, it's an important part of our program. Um, it's amazing on both sides of the Atlantic how little we teach these kids about money. Going to the skills then, you know, what should this generation of young people know to succeed in, in, in future? And if they were thinking about starting a business in the US, are there additional skills or things that they need to know? Well, of course, it depends on what business they're going in. Mm. But no matter what business, they need the core business skills, accounting, law, uh, all the things that are the cornerstones of the business in which we don't teach them very well at. So whatever particular business they're in, they've got to understand these skills. But the real thing I keep going back to, when we look at these people we recruit, our interns, they've got to find out what their best skills and what they're good at, and we got to help them. Mm. 
Do you, uh, you mentioned being an entrepreneur. Well, you are an entrepreneur. Have you had any um, resounding failures? No, thank God I had never had any resounding failures. Of course, you have a few bumps along the way. You've been at this for a long time. Uh, I haven't had any resounding failures, thank God. But I will say one thing for your British listeners. It's one thing different about America and Britain. If you fail in business in Britain, it's like the mark of death. And I think that is a cultural barrier to growing our entrepreneurial community. In America, sometimes we like them to fail once or twice. And the tech guys particularly like to invest in people that have failed. So this thing in Britain that if you fail in your business, you're dead forever, that's something we have to learn to wash out here. I, I agree with you. Um, I think it's that it's a lesson learned. Um, and we don't think of failure in someone that started multiple business and, and I guess built their resilience muscle as a good as, as a good bet. And they learn. Yeah. And so lastly, we ask all of our guests this. If you could have one person from history to sit on your board, who would they be and why? Uh, I think in modern times, uh, Ronald Reagan was one of the most important figures, certainly in America. And Winston is an interesting figure, uh, you, you know. Mm. So as you can see, I like people that go against the, tr the flow. So two politicians, is that, is that well, a Well, Steve Jobs, of course, okay. is a really interesting guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, really an interesting guy how he went, against the, 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 he went against the flow and created this massive wealth focused around the customer experience. The book talks about when I got out of university, I went into the real estate development business and McDonald's was my first client. And I literally drove Ray Kroc around to approve sites. You and I are old enough to remember that McDonald's was a game changer that changes the whole restaurant delivery system. So I tend to like people who look at ways to dr dramatically change things. Wonderful. Vernon Hill, thank you very much for joining us for breakfast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Breakfast with the Boss. It was recorded at Fleet Street Studio with Vox Media Limited. For links to all our other episodes, follow us on Twitter at Breakfast with the Boss, or if you hit subscribe, you'll never miss an episode again. Until next time, goodbye. Bye.